0: hours ago the Portland Trailblazers dealing Damian Lillard to Milwaukee in that three-team trade and also involving the Suns Giannis now gets another bona fide superstar to play alongside I mean you already have Chris Middleton you already have Brooke Lopez but Damian Lillard is a uh, you know he's a difference maker and now that they you know that Giannis has a little more help What does this do to Milwaukee? Well, I think it makes them the clear-cut choice out of the East heading into the 23-24 NBA season. And uh, how about this? How about on a day when we're in the middle of the college football and NFL season four weeks in, baseball around the playoff time and NHL exhibition games, we're talking massive NBA trade here, Adrian.
1: That's right, and it was a massive trade. I, You know, credit to the Portland Trailblazers for remaining patient, Steve. They were backed in a corner by Damian Lillard, by Damian Lillard's agent, and by the Miami Heat. I thought there was no doubt about it in my mind that Damian Lillard would be a, a member of the Miami Heat before the season started. And what they were getting is pretty much bullied into making this deal, and what they did is they stayed patient. Uh, they got back Deion. DeAndre Ayton. I'm not telling you that DeAndre Ayton's a difference maker. He's far from that, but he's still young and he has a tradable contract with him. And then they also got Drew Holiday, which by the by the time that the trade deadline uh, approaches, they are going to get a haul for Drew Holiday from one contender who needs, uh, uh, you know, an experienced veteran in their backcourt to provide some defensive prowess. So that's what they get in return for this one. I didn't like the Miami uh, trade that they proposed that was centered around Tyler hero. I don't like that whatsoever. And now they could parlay this deal that they sent away for Damian Lillard into more deals in the future. So for Portland, they get a major win on this. For Milwaukee, catapulting right up to the top of the Eastern Conference. Um, Boston got worse over the offseason. They lost Marcus Smart, added Kristaps Porzingis, who is injury-prone. You look at Miami. I don't think they necessarily upgraded, but maybe others could argue otherwise. And then uh, the 76ers, they're dealing with all that drama. that they had in the offseason with James
0: Harden. So this is a big one for Milwaukee. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of the Donovan Mitchell trade to the Cavs one year later. Because everybody assumed that Donovan Mitchell was going to be dealt from the Jazz to the Knicks. It was a foregone conclusion from New York, wanted to go home. Everybody was talking about it for months. And then all of a sudden, Utah throws a curve and deals Donovan Mitchell to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then the Knicks, uh, they went ahead with Plan B, and you know Cleveland and New York are kind of the same right now. I feel like both of those teams are kind of in the middle of the pack in the Eastern Conference. But this for Milwaukee is a monster. It's an absolute monster because again, when you look at the Bucks, who were projected at the top of the division, la- the-, the conference last year, and now you've essentially upgraded from Drew Holiday to Damian Lillard. That's a massive upgrade. Now, uh, the bigger question is going to be, following this trade, um do you give Malik Beasley the shooting guard role? What do you do in terms of that? Because originally Grayson Allen was your starting shooting guard and Drew Holiday was your starting point guard. And since you made that trade, trading a lot of collateral for Damian Lillard, you got to put somebody in as potentially your starting shooting guard.
1: Yeah, that's a good point because now, I mean, Damian Lillard reaped the benefits of being a part of great backcourts over his time uh, in Portland. Think about the C.J. McCollum, Damian Damian Lillard tandem that was an excellent combo and even post uh, CJ McCollum once he got traded I felt like they put some nice pieces around Damian Lillard to at least compete early in the playoffs not to make a run for the title and that's what this Milwaukee team brings you right away a title contender uh, you know on day one and I think that's what uh, Damian Lillard will appreciate yeah they lose depth in their backcourt but uh, maybe they maybe they're okay with it since they're just so top heavy the big key will be keeping Chris Middleton healthy, yep. uh, Pat Connaughton, I could see him being a running mate in the backcourt with uh, you know somebody like Damian Lillard, but yeah, they'll suffer a little bit in depth uh, when it comes to their point guards.
0: Five years ago, Beasley was averaging 20 a game, and I feel like he's been around forever, but he's only 26. I mean, that's crazy. Guy's been in the league now a long time, and he's only 26 years of age, which, if you think about it, in the old days, when you graduated from college and you went into the NBA, you were 22 years old. So this would make you like four years in the league, but not Beasley. Again, here's somebody that came into the NBA, wow, in the 2016-2017 season. So he spent his first four seasons in Denver, then went to Minnesota, and then last year split it up between Utah and the Lakers. And is somebody that, you know what, you give him a talented group like this and a chance to slot in with this roster – I mean, Malik Beasley could be back to a 15 point a game guy.
1: Yeah, I remember the Minnesota uh, push to when they, made, they qualified for the play-in in 2022. Uh, Malik Beasley was playing relevant minutes for that team, and he was starting a lot of games for them, too. So, you know, he's somebody who immediately brings experience. I liked him a lot in Utah. Didn't like him with the Lakers, but the Lakers asked too much from him, and he was asked to be a shooter when he might not necessarily be that bona fide shooter uh, that you can rely on right off the bat, although he's a 37 uh, percent career three-point shooter so that's what the Bucks will get they're supplementing uh, Grayson Allen with Malik Beasley I don't think that's much of a drop-off
0: I don't either um, I think that uh, it's actually it could be better than you realize it, it really could but point is you get a superstar in Damian Lillard now you have two superstars playing on the same club and that'll be so interesting to see what Lillard will do to Giannis and now the key is stay healthy if they can all stay healthy, and that includes Brook Lopez, uh, it's going to be a fun postseason to see what Milwaukee can do.
1: And from um, the Milwaukee perspective, Giannis is somebody that they want to continue to keep happy in that organization. They want to win multiple titles. They've won one, but they want to win multiple titles with Giannis Antetokounmpo as their star player and their franchise cornerstone. Well, over the offseason, Giannis was kind of flirting with the idea of maybe he'd leave the Milwaukee Bucks at some point. I don't know if that was actually true or if that was Just more, you know, podcast fodder. But regardless, for Giannis and for, uh, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks, they are staying relevant. They are upgrading their roster. I love Drew Holiday. I think he's a fantastic player, but you obviously make the upgrade any given day if you have the opportunity to add Damian Lillard to your backcourt. Dame is is older, though, and he's also, uh, you know, been injured throughout his time with the likes of uh, the Portland Trailblazers over the recent years. So that's something to monitor as well. But But nonetheless, I I still feel like they are the prohibitive favorites coming out of the East, uh, and I love this move for
0: Milwaukee. Meanwhile, other stories we want to talk about. The UTEP men releasing the basketball schedule this morning. Finally, this one got done. Uh, Adrian wrote about it, dissected it, broke it down, it's got the whole uh, season. You know, the Oregon game in Eugene on December the ninth is going to be the big one. It's the one everybody's talking about. Then they go to San Juan Capistrano in California to get to play Cal and either Tulane or Bradley. That'll be intriguing. You've got also the uh, you know the Don Haskins uh, Sun Bowl Invitational uh, with uh, West Star, and and that's also going to be um, you know something to keep an eye on because. Um, you've got either Wyoming or South Dakota State in the second game, depending on what happens with Norfolk State and the other two. So, uh, you know, you look at those games. Seattle, uh, out of the whack, will be one of the better teams they're playing in the challenge. They're going at Abilene Christian. Um, Ultimately, Adrian, when you see this schedule, I mean, a lot of winnable games, like we would say, Um, Not a ton of tough tests. I would give this schedule, in terms of difficulty, just, just the first grade, the first look, I probably would go somewhere around a C. What about you? I'd probably go B-
1: just knowing that they've got some guys, some teams in the mix who have played and competed in the NCAA tournament as recent as last year. I mean, yeah. take uh, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. That's somebody who UTEP beat last year at home, and then they actually went to the NCAA tournament last year. So, you're getting them to come back to the Don Haskins Center. I think that's a quality matchup. Santa Barbara's another team who's an NCAA tournament squad uh, and highly regarded. They're a really, really tough uh, opponent. So, I still have high expectations for this team. Look, they're bringing returners back. They've got Otis Frazier, they've got Tay Hardy, Calvin Solomon, Kevin Kalou back and expected to start immediately as soon as the first game comes. I expect this team to go 4-0 going into that SoCal Challenge Mm -hmm. and that SoCal Challenge and that whole California test afterward they play Loyola Marymount on that Saturday. That's going to be the tell of how this team really is like that will tell us how this group is ready to battle because they'll have uh, road uh, tests under their belt and uh, playing uh, I guess teams that are on their level at this
0: point I get it I I guess for me if I'm putting it in the B or even the A range I'd like to see them go up against maybe uh, a team or two in the preseason top 25 I don't know if that's too much to ask I'm not saying you got to load it up and have the most ridiculous strength of schedule ever Uh, and Oregon did win 21 games last year but the fact remains that uh, the days of bringing in Power 5 or high major schools to the Haskins Center is pretty much a thing of the past. You might get lucky, and every once in a while, maybe you'll luck into a game like we did years ago with Arizona when they came here. So, you know, that's that's a difficult ask. I get that. It's, it's not something that you're going to have, and you're probably going to have to go play those games on the road. But I do think that for UTEP – Although you're right, there are some tournament teams. It's 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 a schedule where if you know this team has improved from last year, they've got a chance to win some basketball games.
1: Yeah, that's right. And also, it's not like the the names that are going to jump off the page right away. Like I. I hope that UTEP can use this season and use this schedule as a reason to continue to go into California. I think that's really important for UTEP uh, considering the proximity, Uh, also considering they should recruit better in California. I thought Rodney Terry did a great job of getting California talent to come to El Paso and play for the Miners. I don't think that this coaching staff has tapped into the California uh, recruiting market as they could, and they have some recruiting ties out there, so I would like to see them explore the west coast a little bit more mo- both in their non-conference play and of course in recruiting.
0: And I'll say this, I know some fans are going to say well you want big games on the schedule. I mean, and that's the and and I get that because, you know, the 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 first thing you're going to look at is you know, who's Jason Hooten playing at New Mexico State this year and their schedule, especially since uh, they're coming off of the scandal last year, and uh, the program is obviously on the way down, uh, trying to come back up. They play at Rupp Arena, November the 6th, against Kentucky. They also um, have road games um, at Louisville. Uh, in Louisville, those are, those are big-time money games. They really are. Um, and they're probably going to pay six figures. But my attitude is, and, and it's very simple. If you are able to take the money from some of these money games and use it for your program, absolutely. I'm playing those games. I'm going out and I'm trying to get two or three of those on the schedule every year. If it can help out in terms of budget for whatever it is, whether it's travel cost, paying assistance a little bit more, whatever you want to use it for. Absolutely. I'm, I, I do that in a heartbeat, but If you're going to to go out there and have to go play those kind of money games and that money is not going into your program, eh, I would be real hesitant to do it. And I don't know what the situation at UTEP is compared to other schools. I don't know. Um, What I can tell you is, and I've heard this from a pretty good source, that in New Mexico State, when they do play a couple of those money games, uh, a portion of what they're going to be getting back, they are able to use for their men's basketball program. And that's and that's and that's motivation. That's motivation to go out and play Louisville and play Kentucky and play whoever you want. Duke during the off se- during the uh, non conference season, especially if you're able to use some of uh, what you're going to be getting back towards your program.
1: Yeah, you're incentivized by that in a big way if you're able to use that money in your program for sure. And I, I actually look at New Mexico State's uh, non conference schedule. If I had to grade that one, probably go A minus yeah. b- or B plus. Yeah. I love what they did, and I also love the Cancun Challenge that they're a part of. Um, I love the fact that they've got New Mexico, of course. I mean, it's a rival uh, rival right there, but I do think it's important, looking over to UTEP's side, to establish those relationships with New Mexico. Play the Lobos in non-conference since yep. you're unable to play the Aggies in non-conference and you lose those two games right there. And also continue to be part of mo- uh, of these like invitationals or these tournaments. Those are really important to be a part of if you're a men's basketball team out there. Uh, not just for games to try to win under your belt, but for exposure, that's a really good thing for things like recruiting and, and to tell people and players in the future, hey, look, you could come here and be a part of these different matchups, which are quality, uh, you know, matchups that we have for you. So yeah, I when I compare the two, I think New Mexico State has a really difficult schedule as well. Uh, I would also say that um, in the future, when it comes to the Miners, I do hope that they, um, you know, incorporate more of those money games, those marquee matchups, because fans love those. They they are they're going to be of course watching that Oregon game and that's the one that everybody's talking about today
0: I get it and I agree with you to a certain point like if you're going to play multiple money games and you get to use some of that money towards your program 100% agree I don't know if that's the case at UTEP I, I I don't I know I know the situation in New Mexico State I don't know if UTEP is able to utilize some of those dollars they get towards the program but if not do you still play those games not at all. Not at all. Not whatsoever. Because
1: you're not incentivized. No. If, if I'm a coach. Like if I'm a coach who has to work on schedule making and how difficult that is, but I'm not getting money back for playing these difficult opponents, yeah. why?
0: Why do that? Why sacrifice yourself for a six figure uh a six you know, a six figure paycheck that you're not gonna see?
1: Yeah, it's going to the athletic department, not yeah. your uh, yeah. men's basketball team and program. And another another thing to mention is uh, for the minors coming up here in the future, schedule making is going to be difficult for them if they don't continue or if they don't try to win because to other opponents, they're going to look like a lose-lose situation. If an opponent plays the minors and hosts uh, UTEP and they don't win, it's mm-hmm. going to look back on uh, bad on them for net ranking, yep. uh, for Ken Palm rating, uh, whatever, all that kind of stuff. And if you uh, you, t- uh, you know, the opponent actually wins. Well, that doesn't do much for them for yeah. net rating and all that kind
0: now of you're stuff. You're right. All right. Big show today. We've got a lot of guests lined up. Jay Jaffe's next. Jeff Erickson in a five o'clock hour. And Galen White's got a brand new book for all you high school football fans. You're going to want to hear that story. One of our old friends will be joining us on the program today with Galen White. First, though, let's head it out to Charlie One. He has traffic update number one. Okay, Steven. All right, back here on Sports Talk as we continue 22 past the hour right now. It's time to talk a little baseball and beer as we get ready for the you know, the end of the season, the postseason, right around the corner with this man, Jay Jaffe, who joins us uh, from fangrafts.com, including his latest piece Mike Trout is probably staying in Anaheim. Well,. Um, you know, Jay, let's begin with that because it's a great way to start things off. Um, injuries have been an issue uh, the last couple of seasons for Mike Trout, who for the majority of his career had never gotten hurt. And then all of a sudden, once he started getting hurt, could never stay healthy. So as we, we begin with Trout, how difficult do you think it will be for the Angels to try to unload him? And are there any teams out there that would even risk the type of collateral it would take to bring in the Superstar?
2: Yeah, I think the the big issue, the big issue. Is he's owed 248 million dollars over the next seven years, which you know, if you're getting a guy who can post 140 games a year, which a level that he has not been able to reach since 2018, um, you know, is a different story than a guy whose whose uh, availability has been more sporadic. I mean, he's just, you know, he's he has been banged up, and he's unfortunately not a fast healer. And maybe there's something going on with the. Uh, with you know, with, with the Angels medical staff in particular, um, you know, this is two seasons out of three where it just seemed like an endless wait to to you know for him to to ramp up and get get uh, uh, get back to baseball activity, and then just r- running out of time. Um, you know, two years ago it was the calf strain; he played only 36 games. Um, when you've got a situation like that, I mean. All the angels are really going to get out of this if they trade him, uh, is is salary relief unless uh, you know unless they're willing to write a huge check uh, to you know to, to whoever gets him um, you know in order to get some you know some kind of prospects back and even then I think you know the the example I compared it to was the Nolan Arenado trade from a couple years ago where uh, the Rockies got I think five guys back. Um, for Arenado, who had one hundred and ninety nine million dollars on his on his deal, um, but none of those guys were more than role players and only only two of them have even played in the majors. They also set fifty million dollars you 're going to have to spend probably double that in order to get anything that 's really going to move the needle uh, in terms of the direction of the angels franchise um, so i i don 't know. That there's any team that's really going to look at that and say, "Hey, that sounds like a great idea." I mean, maybe it's the Giants, but you're talking about taking a chance on a guy who's what 32 years old right now, um, and just you know is a superstar when he's healthy, but just does not have a great track record lately.
0: I was trying to think, was Arenado was still in his 20s when he was dealt over to St. Louis? Right, Arenado was
2: three years younger. Yeah. Three years, you know, there. It's not a. Gr- it's not the easiest parallel. Because Arenado was three years younger. He had that opt out in his contract that mm-hmm. that, that complicates uh, the issue a little bit more. Um, but you know, we're talking about you know moving a player where that has two hundred million dollars remaining. Not many yeah. parallels.
0: And you know what? There's. I I don't think there's any chance Mike Trout opts out because he'll probably never get that kind of money in another deal. We we all. Well,
2: he doesn't. Ha- he doesn't have an opt out in his contract. I mean, he's. You know, he's quote-unquote, stuck in
0: it. He's fine. Um, no, but so- I mean, is if, he told, if he told the Angels today, listen, I'll just tear up my contract, which is unprecedented. It's never been done before, yeah, and I'm sure they, the player Association wouldn't exactly go for that either. So, yeah, um, I, I just, uh, you know, Steve Cohen is the only owner that I've seen recently that has said, okay, we will eat a good chunk of what we owe some of these higher-priced vets to get to, to buy prospects back. And not everybody is going to take the Steve Cohen approach, especially Artie Moreno
2: yeah exactly i mean i i i mentioned Cohen because the the Cohen deal uh you know sending Justin Verlander to the astros uh this year i think was also instructive they sent thirty five million uh worth of guaranteed salary towards his his uh remaining uh salary for this year and next and then they'll pay half of his thirty five million salary if a conditional option uh is triggered and exercises for twenty twenty five that got them um Two prospects: one a 50 grade prospect, which is to say a guy who's going to be a major league, you know, regular, uh, and a 45 prospect, which is a guy who's going to be maybe either, uh, you know, more likely a platoon player, or fringe player, uh, not a full, not a full time player. That's what that. That's what that kind of money gets you. It's like decent prospects, but yep. not not blue chips.
0: That's true. That's true. Um, you also wrote about the astros and justin verlander here uh yesterday at com. why in your mind um are the astros struggling so much down the stretch uh, here in september compared to what we saw a year ago
2: yeah their starting pitching has been thinned out and it's not been giving them great results verlander's uh, start on monday night was was uh, uh was the exception they have a, a an era of about five for september uh they're now nine and fourteen this month um uh, Framber Valdez has been has been pretty good. Uh, Christian Javier has been getting better results than he had for for much of the summer. Uh, but Hunter Brown and J P France look like they're the gas. Um, and uh, you know this is a team that lost uh, three pitchers, uh, three th- three potential starting pitchers: Lance McCullers uh, and Luis Garcia both for the season, and and Jose Urquidy for about half the season. Yep. Uh, and he's now in the bullpen and just not not really up to starting. So um, they just don't have the depth that they've usually had. And, and getting Verlander at least gave them somebody to head the rotation. But, you know, I think they're feeling the impact of those deep runs uh, in recent both seasons. It's a lot of extra innings piled on these guys. And, and I think the wear uh, is showing.
0: Jay Jaffe with us here on Sports Talk as we continue. Um, A couple of uh, individuals are going to be retiring here shortly and and they're going to have some big legacies in terms of uh, their impact on the game. Let's talk first about uh, Tito Francona, who will be uh, calling it quits after nearly 2,000 wins uh, as manager of the Guardians. When you uh, look at Francona and his legacy as manager, uh, where do you rank him?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think he's an obvious Hall of Famer for you know for what he accomplished uh, first in Boston and then uh, and then in Cleveland. He won uh, uh, 2004 and 2000 uh, World Championships in Boston. Uh, the, the first one obviously broke the 86-year drought, and they had to overcome uh, the three-nothing lead against the Yankees in the, in the ALCS. Um, you know, he presided over over a golden era of, of baseball in, in you know in, in in Boston, and then he came to Cleveland and. Uh, instantly raised the bar there, and the the the, uh, uh, the Indians and now the Guardians have been, you know, I think you, generally contending teams. I mean, they've had, they have off years here and there, but the the expectation is 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 something you know higher than that, and they came very close to winning their first World Series since 1948 in uh, uh, 2016, and and uh, um, he's worked very well within that organization, and um, unfortunately. Uh, his health issues are are such that uh, he can't continue. But I think he's a pretty obvious Hall of Famer. Um, you know, just a why, you know a great quote for for those of us in the press. Um, just a, a a strong leader who who get generally has gotten the most out of his players
0: we'll talk about another retirement coming up that also could possibly end up in cooperstown we'll get jay jaffe's thoughts on that plus of course uh, reflecting on the great uh, brooks robinson as we continue but first uh, let's get right back to adrian and this bottom of the hour sports center update
1: Thank you very much, Steve. Let's head over to some NFL news from today. Carolina Panthers quarterback Bryce Young is on track to return as the starter for Sunday's home game against the Vikings, barring a setback with his sprained right ankle over the next couple of days, head coach Frank Reich told reporters today. Bryce Young, who missed Sunday's 37-27 loss at Seattle Sunday, participated fully in Wednesday's practice. It was his first practice since suffering a mild ankle sprain in week two Monday night loss to the New Orleans Saints. The ankle was taped when Young arrived for practice, but it didn't hinder his workload or his performance. Let's head over to more news today. This out of college football, Michigan State University fired football coach Mel Tucker for cause today, formally completing a process that was initiated last week. Tucker is currently under a university investigation for a sexual misconduct complaint brought up by Brenda Tracy, a sexual assault awareness speaker. In a statement, the university said that it had terminated Tucker's contract for his admitted and undisputed behaviors, which have brought public disrespect, contempt, and ridicule upon the university and constitute a material breach of his agreement and moral turpitude. That is coming from Michigan State today. Let's head over to more news today. This out of college football as well. Texas A&M quarterback Connor Wegman's foot injury, which was initially thought to be minor, is now more serious than Anticipated, and he is now expected to miss the rest of the season. Veteran SEC quarterback Max Johnson, who has reclassified as a sophomore, uh is uh came in for him in relief and threw two touchdown passes for the Aggies. That's look at your sports center update. I'm Adrian Broadis.
0: Adrian, thank you very much. We're back with Jay Jaffe here from Fangrafts as we continue. Adam Wainwright uh, will be calling it a career here and uh, said he's thrown his last pitch with the Cardinals. Did not have a good season this year when he returned, although he's been very good the last couple of years after turning 40. Uh, I look at his numbers and yes, the 200 wins uh, in an era where you're probably never going to see anybody get close to 300 again will stand out. But the more I look at his Jaws numbers, which is your metric for Hall of Fame, uh, and really the similarity scores during his career, I would almost put Wainwright in the Hall of Very Good, Jay, but just falling short uh, and, and pretty well short of Cooperstown when it's all said and done.
2: Yeah, you know, he has certainly been a part of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, a lot of very good uh Cardinals teams. Unfortunately for him, he missed the 2011 se- season when they won their their, uh, their World Series. Uh, he had Tommy John surgery that year, but uh, um, he was the closer on the 2006 championship team. Obviously, I think probably the biggest, uh, uh, the the most vivid memory of him is 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 that uh, uh, that curveball that froze Carlos Beltran to close out the National League Championship Series. But uh, um, you know, he was also on the mound when they when they won the World Series. Um, but you know for him i think the real issue was he missed a lot of time due to injuries not just uh, uh that 2011 season but uh um most of uh, 2015 and most of 2018 with various uh, uh ailments and he's he, it's a question of volume he's only got uh less than 2700 innings you really need about at least 3000 innings if not more to really get the kind of counting stats that that uh um that, that turn heads for voters only 2200 strikeouts um Never won a Cy Young. Was obviously uh, four top three finishes, but uh, never could quite get over it, uh, get over the hump. No, never led the league in ERA or ERA plus. Uh, never led in strikeouts. It's a it's a really nice career, and I think whatever he goes does next, whether it's uh, um, you know broadcasting or coaching or whatever, he's going to be a great success at it. But uh, he's just a little short for me, and uh, you know I think uh, I'm not alone in that. But uh, um, I, I, I love the way he went out. I thought that uh, that watching him uh, gut out that win uh, against the Brewers for number 200, um, seven shutout innings, was just a perfect way to go out. He hadn't pitched very well all year long, and suddenly he pulled it together for one night. And then he decided, you know what? Let's leave it like that. And I think that's just a really cool way to go
0: out. I'm with you on that one. All right, so let's compare him right now to. Uh, someone that really you can't compare, but we'll transition. That's a better word. We'll transition from, um, uh, you know, Adam Wainwright to Brooks Robinson. We lost him yesterday uh, at the age of 86. Someone who was an 18-time All-Star, 16-time Gold Glove Award winner, won the World Series twice, was MVP of the league, was MVP of the All-Star game and the World Series, and, uh, you know, finished uh, as uh, as his career goes, with uh, a two sixty seven batting average, which doesn't seem like much, but his defensive metrics were amazing. He was clutch, a fan favorite, one of the most popular players of his time. And uh, I'm sure you could probably go on and on about the uh, the mark that Brooks Robinson left on the game.
2: Yeah, I'm actually working on a tribute for Fangraphs that will run on, on Friday here for him. Uh, just you know, he was he set the gold standard for defense, and and you know not only did he win the 16 straight Gold Gloves, 16 with the, that's the most by any position player. 16, um, two pitchers have uh, one has 16, Jim Cotton, one has 18, Greg Maddox, but not not really the same. You can't really compare them. Um, but what's interesting is you know you've got the perception, and then you've got the fielding metrics, which which put him as the number one third baseman as well. Uh, you know, it's 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 uh it's gratifying when the visuals and the numbers line up. It certainly helps sell my, sell my stuff. Um you know, for I was too young to 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 have seen Robinson's career, but I saw endless footage of him, especially from that 1970 World Series uh against the Reds where he was the MVP of the series. He just dominated uh on defense, uh making play after play diving stops. Uh moving into foul territory, long, arcing, and accurate throws, um, you know, really captured the imagination, and I think kind of put third-base defense on the map for a lot of us as, as being, that's, that's where you watch. And to this day, you know, and I, I think this goes back to me watching Greg Nettles in the 1978 World Series. It's the third baseman I want to look at. I want to watch the, the Arenados, the Scott Rollins, the Machados. Um, you know, if you play good third-base defense, uh, that's, that's, where my, that's where my eye ends up. More often than not, when I'm looking out of the field, so by um, by all, all accounts, he was just a, 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 a genuine, classy person uh, as well, uh, beloved in Baltimore, and uh, uh, worked within the MLB alumni uh, uh, organization, and uh, uh, just gave himself to the game and to the com- to the Baltimore community, and, and just a, a true icon.
0: There was such. A, there's so many great clips. I thought the uh, the clip of Palmer, uh, Jim Palmer, getting emotional, and breaking down, yep. talking about him was terrific. But there's a play in that 1970 World Series where Lee May hits a ball down the third yeah. base line, and Robinson grabs it, going out like a foul territory, and not only gets the ball, but throws a ridiculous one hopper to get him out by a, by a half a step. That still goes to show just how much range he had at third base.
2: Yeah, they, they you know they said he could he could move equally equally well in every direction. He would tell you he moved best to his left, but that, but he could move uh, in either direction uh, and you know front and back as well. And uh, you know we've seen uh, you know Machado and Arenado make those plays that running into foul territory. What what Robinson was able to do there, I loved, I've watched that particular play over and over again. What gets me is the hop. You know this uh, the Reds had just moved into Riverfront Stadium. Uh, which is, I believe, the first outdoor uh, stadium with artificial turf. And uh, later on, Davey Concepcion really learned to to play the hop uh, as you know to increase his his throwing range. Um, you know, and they worked on that. They practiced it, but. Robinson, I don't, I don't think Boog Powell had had dealt with too many of those before, but, yeah. uh, uh, but uh, it's just a seamless play, and it's hypnotic to watch it. There's, uh, uh, there's gifs of it all over the internet and all, all over social media right now. It's just a, a, a fabulous play, and that was one of like six. I mean, I think he makes a, a great double play stop on on May uh, in Game Two as well. And um, Sparky Anderson said, you know, if, if if you hit him a paper plate, he'd throw it. He'd throw me out right now. Uh, after the series was just totally in, you know, he was living rent free in the Reds' head at that point.
0: I love it. Before I get your beer pick of the week, and I look forward to seeing that tribute tomorrow at Fangraphs on uh, the great Brooks Robinson. Christopher Carrillo, uh has this question for you: the two-parter. Part one, Jay, do you see the Dodgers winning the World Series with the pitching staff that they have? And then part two, do you think uh, Shohei Otani will be a Dodger? Will be in Dodger blue next season?
2: Um. I think the Dodgers have a kind of an uphill battle because their starting pitching is just absolutely shot. I mean, you know, Clayton Kershaw's been wobbly, uh impressive when available, but you know, they've had him on a, a lengthened schedule between starts and only going five innings. Um and you know, they've lost Julio Arias, um uh Gonsolin. Uh so they're gonna be wobbling through. We're probably gonna see a bullpen game uh, you know, in, in through in each turn uh, of the rotation, so I don't know if I don't know if they have the pitching to do it this year. Um, then again, you you know the Braves are a powerhouse team, but even their starting pitching is, um, you know, is kind of banged up. It looks like they're going to lose Charlie Morton uh, for at least the first round. Um, so I, you know, I guess it's possible they get through. I mean, uh, but I, I don't see them winning the World Series. Uh, with that pitching staff, although it would be, <laughs> you know, it, it would be something else baseball-wise if they did uh, compared to the strength of, of, of years past when they had much better starting pitching, but but, but couldn't close the deal. Um, as for Otani, I would put him as probably, uh, I would put the Dodgers as probably his most likely destination. Um, but I do think that, you know, there will, there will be pause given, the, given the, the, uh, the elbow situation because the Dodgers really do need starting pitching um, with Arias uh, uh, gone. And we don't even know whether Clayton Kershaw is going to be back next year. Yep. Um, they've got uh, some young starters who have potential, um, but they're going to need some arms. And, and uh, if Otani can't pitch next year, maybe that uh, alters the calculus a little. Good so, stuff. We'll see.
0: Appreciate you, Christopher. Thank you so much for those questions today for Jay. Let's wrap it up. Beer pick of the week. What would you like to profile, Jay?
2: Okay. Well, it's fresh hop season, and so when I saw Threes uh, Brewing, my my pals here in Brooklyn advertising their fresh hop ale, uh, I got on it and got a couple of four-packs. This one's called Origin Story. Uh, it's their 2023 Harvest Ale. Uh, it comes in at 6% ABV. Um, it's not an IPA. It's, it's, just, a, it's just an ale. Uh, really nice uh, medium-bodied hints of melon and and tangerine for me. Uh, I really liked it. I'm going back for more. It's uh, just a really lovely, uh, well-balanced beer.
0: Good stuff as always. Jay, we'll talk to you next week. Appreciate the time. All right. Sounds great, Steve. Thanks. Jay Jaffe, folks, as we continue. Back with more Sports Talk. And by the way, Uh, waiting for those Journey Toto tickets. We'll do another mashup. I'm going to make it a little tougher today, but we'll give you a chance to win here as Sports Talk continues. On the clips in long formats coming out of breaks. Ah. You think that'll help people out a little bit? Maybe. Maybe so. If you have them in your library. You might even have them. I don't even know. Check it out. The boss called. Nice job. Check it out. I like that. Uh, the boss called during the break. I was out of the office, I, I, out of my studio. I missed the call. But I guarantee if he's driving on the phone and he heard, or driving uh, and he's listening on his radios and heard that clip, he's probably like, what are you doing? Seriously? What are you doing to people? <laughs> it's like, it's crazy. Uh, here they are. Five Journey songs. We need them all for you to be uh, a winner to go see him next March uh, at the Pan Am Center. All right, there they are, in all their glory. 505-6009, welcome back to the show. Uh, Jeff Erickson, and talk a little fantasy sports with us from rotowire.com. Are you a Journey fan?
2: Uh,
0: Fan might
3: be overstating the case. Uh, I appreciate their body of work. There you go. Um, I don't turn them off when I hear them, but I, I don't often listen to classic rock either.
0: I think I I think I've made it too difficult for my listeners. I'm worried. Like I've I put together I did a mashup of three songs yesterday and I made them like 25 seconds in total length and and somebody guessed it right out of the right out of the shoot right and I thought well you know what this is this is too easy so I did the extreme <laughs> I I put together a five song mashup that takes six and a half seconds and if people are listening to it on a, on an AM radio they're probably like you got to be kidding me and I feel like I've made it too difficult for people today. You probably went a little too far, yeah. I know. Which is, But I did give the advice, if you listen to us on the mobile app where you're in the studio and you have essentially the same audio quality that we have here, it'll be much easier to identify the songs because when you hear them in all of their rich clarity on the mobile app, then um, it might be a big clue to help uh, get everything right. So that's my that's my way of downloading the uh, the mobile app and listening to the show today. Jeff is uh, oh, that, getting the journey I see what question. You're doing big brain there. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate that. That's what that's right. Hey, um, I had a caller last segment just talk about the Padres and how disappointed he is and how you know he doesn't know what's going to happen this off season. Do you see them um you know they got decisions to make. Uh, do you unload any of the big salaries? You're going to lose Machado cuz he's going to opt out. So he'll be he won't be back. Um do you trade oh, Really? T- I didn't even know that. I th- I believe wow. I believe Machado. I don't I don't see Machado. Oh, All right. Or did they keep or wait a minute. Did they re-sign Machado after last season and bring him back long term? They, they might have. You know what? You might be right. So if he's back, do you let Blake Snell go? Do you trade Tatis? What do you do with this team? Well,
3: it might not be a matter of let. You know, it's just a, an issue of like how much are they going to pay up. Um, checking on Machado, yeah, he signed this year.
0: Oh God, uh, eleven years, right. three
3: hundred fifty million in February. So, so he, he you, you've got him for for a long time. Snow, I mean, he's going to be expensive. He's going to win the Cy Young. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's going to be uh, very difficult for them to retain him. In part because they lost the TV contract. They're going to get. Make, they're going to make considerably less money in TV revenue next year. I know that they've sold out the park all season long, and they've, they've made countless revenue this year. But, you know, ownership's going to be looking at that, I think. I mean, the one thing is they've had commitment from ownership to win. That's the one thing you've got to look at. And, like, maybe uh, we don't realize the extent of the profit they made this year, so we'll see. But haters almost certainly gone. Seth Lugo might be gone. Uh, you might be seeing Michael Walker opt out. I think he's, he's an opt out if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. So there's a lot of transition. I mean, the thing is like, uh, what they, they're locked into Jake Cronenworth, who they give the big extension to. They got to figure out what they're going to do with Soto. Um, they got to figure out what to do in center field. Trent Krisham is not a, a, no. a full-time starter. He, he, they need something better there as far as, at, at the plate, you know, uh, so that, that's, there's, that's a starting point right there, um, and yeah, they have to figure out the Snell issue. I uh, I think that's another big one there too. Uh they're going to get a full seasons out of Joe Musgrove and Yu Darvish again and that'll help. Remember they they missed a good chunk of Joe Musgrove this season and I I think that's something that gets gets overlooked. And despite all that, they're like plus 9 they're, they're plus 90 runs this year. I mean, they're they're, they're a, the most unclutched team I've seen that's a good team, you know, uh they, they they really should be in the playoffs especially given how soft the NL wild card bubble is this year i can understand the the, uh, the disappointment factor of not making the playoffs in this particular year when the mets are so bad when the cardinals are so bad uh did not take advantage of that but you know winless in extra innings such a bad record in one run games i mean some of that is a little fortune. Some of that is just unclutch. I mean, there, there's a little. I think I, I believe that is a thing.
0: I mean, Hassan Kim has been the most valuable player as far as wins above replacement. Then Juan mm-hmm. Soto and Fernando Tatis Jr. are both tied. Then Xander Bogarts. Manny Machado has got like a 2.9 WAR, which is not nearly what. Oh, it's they,
3: been an awful season yeah. for his, for him, especially for his standards for his cost. Yep. But I, do you think that repeats? I don't.
0: I, I don't no. think he's.
3: I don't think he's a dog, and I don't think he's too old. I just think this is a year that happened, and I think he bounces back next year.
0: How about Josh Hader deciding that he didn't want to pitch? uh, uh, I guess he decided at at this point, uh, you know, he's got his standards, refused to go in for, what is it, like on back-to-back days? or uh, I forget what the story was, but it sounded ridiculous.
3: It does. um, Pretty much cements him leaving, right? I would think so. (laughs) That said, when he has pitched, he's been great. Um, and other, they, they've had a hard time getting games to him. That's been a real problem uh, all season long. I mean, they traded for uh, they traded for Barlow. Um, that you know, Barlow hasn't pitched, and you know, he he pitched over the weekend. I guess he and he wasn't very good on on Saturday. I guess it was got the loss there. That was one of those helped cement the season. And he hasn't been that great since coming over. Um, Suarez has had his moments, but he's also had his other moments. Yeah. Uh, and you know. From there on, it, it's been a struggle. But you've seen teams like the Rays and the Orioles and, you know, just conjure bullpens out of thin air, too. So it can be done that you can retool a bullpen pretty quickly.
0: I just wonder if they're going to try to trade any of these big contracts during the offseason. That's what I'm going to be most interested in, especially if they decide to move Tatis.
3: I don't think that happens, but I think Soto is the guy that gets moved because he's approaching free agency. I think, I, I think, you, I think Tatis sticks around. I understand they're disenchanted with this what he did a year ago i don't think he's been a bad player this year maybe slightly below his standards but that that, you know i you know he will have the most trade currency just because he's young uh but soto i mean you're you're only getting one year of him but that also might be the time to trade him so we'll see what happens
0: with that i gotta keep if i'm if i'm the padres i keep on Soto. i figure out a way to pay the man he's been he's been their best hitter this year
3: yeah, it's well, you know, he's going to go to free agency because he's a Boris client. So mm-hmm. maybe they re-sign him, but I, I doubt he signs an extension. Um, I, I just think that it's most likely that... You know, I, I think they probably try to get the band close to back together and retool and try to go for it again. Because, I mean, they've already got so much committed. No one, no one's going to take Bogart's contract off of them, for instance, there. Yeah. Uh, I think they overpaid at the time, and they knew it, but they thought that it was like the finishing touch on a very competitive roster. Um, I think they see that team as a team that's a contender and will probably go at go hard at winning again. I think that's the most likely thing, but I also think they're probably like out of the Otani sweepstakes, for instance, especially because mm-hmm. he can't pitch in 2024. That's a good
0: point. All right. We'll come back more with Jeff as we continue here on sports talk. We'll switch it to fantasy football. If you've got questions, now's the time to send it in to us at 600 ESPN El Paso. But first here he is. Adrian Broadison sports center. Jeff Erickson from Um, I'm looking at your value meter. I did not expect Zach Moss to be doing this uh, after the first three weeks of the season at Indianapolis. Did you?
3: No, uh, not at all. And it's like, it's not, it's legit. It's not like he's been like just driving through some wide open holes, like broke, broken open by the Philly offensive line or something. He, he's breaking tackles. I mean, he, he looks good. He's catching passes, scored on a wheel route. I mean, uh, this is, who is this and what have he done with Zach Moss? Uh, but he looks great, and, you know, we're starting to, you know, we're not hearing a whole lot of rumblings, though. It, when Jonathan Taylor comes back, I mean, yeah, he'll come back at some point, I guess, but Moss has been great, and, uh, you know, I think he'll do reasonably well against the Rams this week.
0: I agree with you in that regard, and I, and I think he's, a, you know, definitely uh, a top-ten back. Um, Jerome Ford, did he impress you last week as the starter for Cleveland?
3: Yeah, I mean, we knew it was a bad running matchup against the Titans. You don't want to start your running backs against the Titans. At least you don't want to, you, you know, use them. You know, count on much on the running game. But he scored twice. Scored in the the passing game. It's clear he is the guy. It is also clear that Kareem Hunt is a, is a little bit of a threat on passing downs. That's the one thing I don't like.
0: Joe Burrow has been playing hurt. He's not even a close uh, right now to the Joe Burrow we're used to. Are we going to see this all season long, or do you think that uh going to figure out a way to to, to just get out there and, and keep that and get let that calf get stronger and stronger as the season goes on?
3: Well, that's just the thing. It's really hard to do that. You know, uh, it's um, we saw he had like five weeks off and he still aggravated it two weeks into the season, and despite them being. In a situation there where they did try to be very concerted on the game planning there had had the governor switch on them, and they still made it very difficult uh you know and he still had the aggravation that was still a problem so I think uh you know this is something we might deal with i the second half of the season was better than i mean second half the game on Monday night was better than the first half in terms of the play calling and you know him looking a little bit more comfortable and even still, he had a play where he had to scramble away from the pressure, and you could see him wincing a little bit afterward there, so I think it just might be something that we have to deal with all year long.
0: Tua looks terrific. If he could stay healthy, which is the big if for Tua, uh, mm-hmm. really coming into his own in Miami.
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they did last week without Waddle, even there. I mean, that's the thing that's so crazy. It's getting rid of it downfield, yet getting rid of it quickly. I mean, that's a killer combo. I mean, yeah, Tyree Kill, a healthy Tyree Kill, a healthy Tua, that's it's working out pretty well for them there. Um, it, it's fun to watch that combo. Uh, and, now, and now they have a running game. Uh, they have not one but two running backs they trust, and maybe a third later in Jeff Wilson when he comes off IR. Uh, but it, it's, it's fun watching them this machine work.
1: Speaking of trust, Jeff, how do you trust guys like Justin Fields, who uh, currently plays for the Bears, and they're just struggling to put any sort of offense out there, yet he still gets the rushing yards that you uh, get? Do you trust guys like that, or would you maybe look elsewhere uh, for a solution at quarterback?
3: Nah, He's tough. I'm still starting him in some places this week, in particular against Denver. Seems like a good spot, at least. Uh, he 's not even running that much this last week he did he had eleven rushes but for forty seven yards but the week before he had like six rushing yards uh if you 're not getting rushing yards from Justin Fields, what are we doing here you know and I think my my least favorite stat of the year is through the first that you know over the first two games they they called two design runs for him um which is just just a terrible breakdown of play calling there so Yeah, it's difficult, and you know he's not helping matters by selling out the coaching staff. But maybe it's a cry for help too. Bad offensive line. I mean, need we keep going? I mean, there's a lot of bad things going on here.
1: Jeff, now I want to ask your philosophy when it comes to picking team defenses uh, in drafts. I have in one of my leagues, I have a fantasy owner who switches his team defense week to week. So he'll add a team, he'll drop a team, all that kind of stuff. What's your philosophy behind team defense?
3: Oh, I like it. Uh, it's called streaming defenses, and I think that's a really good way to go. Uh, the great thing about streaming defenses is if, is if you happen upon a team that is a dominant defense, let's call them the Cleveland Browns, uh, then you can still keep rolling them out. You keep them and roll them out every week. That's what I'm doing right now. I mean, I haven't gotten that massive fantasy score yet, but it's coming. Um, that dead defense is like a legit top-five real-life defense, and so... And, you know, the, you know, it all starts with rushing the passer. That's something they can do. Uh, so I, the good stuff for that will, will flow from that at some point in time. You know, I, you know, I know every week there's been, like, you know, Buffalo last week. There's the Cowboys in week one where there's been a defense that's been a big game changer. And if you, if you had the, that team, that's great. But then there's other weeks when that, those respective defenses haven't helped you as much. Like last week, the Cowboys defense didn't help you that much.
0: Christopher Cardillo asks us at 600 ESPN El Paso: Do I stick with Josh Jacobs or get rid of him?
3: I'll stick with him. Um, he, he was never going to repeat last year, but he's never—he's not going to be as bad as he was early on in the season. Uh, I think that that you know the lack of training camp and preseason didn't help. All the preseason doesn't really matter that much, but for a running back for a team's offense, it might. Um, there'll be better days ahead.
0: You still have them 11th this week on your value meter, and they play at the Chargers. Uh, and you talk about the Chargers. Uh, it's, that game against uh, Minnesota last week was wild and still hard to believe that uh, you know we're talking about uh, an 0-3 team in that situation. Oh, and the Vikings, yep. yeah.
3: Um, they, and, and with their quarterback playing very well, no less. It's not, you can't pin their, this start on Kirk Cousins at all. It's just Minnesota has no defense whatsoever, um, and that, that you know that that's why I think Carolina is kind of a sneaky uh, sneaky target this week. That you could probably go ahead and maybe use Andy Dalton if he starts. You can use some of his pass catching options because Minnesota just I mean they can't defend. They're just they're just a really bad defense.
0: Who do you see in like a quarterback eleven to twenty range that still has a chance to maybe move up into a bona fide top ten quarterback by the end of the season? On C. a J. week-to-week Stroud. basis, yeah.
3: C.J. Stroud has to be it, right? Um, you know, I love what he's done so far. Over 900 yards passing, no interceptions. Uh, he, he has no offensive line. He's still doing this. Four out of his five offensive line starters are out with injury, and he's still putting together these numbers. It, it's really impressive to see.
0: Is Dak Prescott like the most frustrating fantasy quarterback of all time?
3: Yeah, there, there's a lot of them out there, but he, he's in the he's on the short list. Uh, because he's had so many games where, you know, you you, you keep thinking he's going to be amazing, and yet here we are. And, and some of this is on Mike McCarthy for his play calling. You know, running the ball down two scores, four minutes left in the game in the red zone. I mean, what do you, you know? Horrible idea there to, you know, running clock like that. I mean, some of that. But then again, Dak threw into triple coverage in the end zone too. So, which is something he's done before. It's just he is – that that's who he is, and I think we just have to, like – alter our expectations at this point in time. He's not a horrible quarterback. He's not going to be an elite quarterback. He's just a guy in that vast middle.
0: Meanwhile, we've talked about uh, your value meter. What else would you like to profile at uh, rotowire.com?
3: Okay, so we have all sorts of uh, you know features to help you win your leagues. Uh, you know, we, we got deep dive for, on the waiver wire. We've been doing this with Dan Marcus lately. You can check that out. We have three different waiver wire columns over the week. We have an immediate one on Sundays. We have another one that goes on Tuesdays. Dan Marcus does his later in the week, especially for those leagues. People are in deeper leagues like I'm in some leagues where I have a 20 man roster and like, ooh, Patrick Taylor looks great. Let's go get him. You know, that's the sort of league I'm in sometimes. If you're in a uh, pick and pool or you're in survivor leagues, we got you covered there. Survivor is an endlessly fascinating uh, game for me fun topic that's something i always love diving into a little bit
0: good stuff as always hey listen jeff appreciate the conversation do it again with you right back here next wednesday awesome thanks steve jeff erickson folks as sports talk continues all right 43 past the hour wrap it up and then coming up in our six o'clock hour excited about having galen white back with us Coach of a Lifetime, the story of Lewis Cook Jr., legendary high school football coach. We'll get to that with Galen in just a few as Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. Center, March the 21st of next year. It's a Thursday night. So, in order to win the tickets, and there is a backstory yesterday, I played three songs 25 seconds in length. Adrian got it, told um, our Adrian. That it was too easy. Like it was, he's a fan. It was simple. I said, "All right, I'll show you." So I put together this five-song mashup that lasts a total of six and a half seconds. I made it a little tougher today. So far, we haven't ha- we haven't even had any guesses on this. All right. Anyway, that's the. Uh, those are the five. The lucky five. And uh, I don't know. I have a feeling that uh, we're not going to get a winner through the end of the show. And maybe, just maybe, since I did email those, uh, that montage to, uh, to Buzz Adams, maybe they'll end up being on uh, the morning show tomorrow and we'll get a winner on the queue.
1: Nice. That sounds great.
0: So it's possible. It's possible. We will see how that goes uh, as we wrap up our number two of the program. Uh, Good stuff uh, from uh, Jeff Erickson and uh, Jay Jaffe today. I I really enjoyed uh, Jeff's thoughts on the Padres. I forgot that they locked up Manny Machado after he was uh, rumored to be a free agent after the season. He had that great year last year and unfortunately signed the big contract. And as you see this sometimes, players sign a big contract and... They, uh, they, they, they struggle a little bit in that first year after the new deal.
1: Right. I, I, it's the fresh new deal. You're playing for a deal, and then you kind of uh, don't necessarily have that big incentive to play as hard as you would if you're trying to play for a deal. I'd also say that I love the conversation about Josh Hader, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was so cryptic, right? When he's telling reporters different things, you know he's on his way out, and it kind of makes you think should they have traded him at the trade deadline? Well,
0: they probably figured, you know, they, were still, they still wanted to stay in it and give him a shot but uh, it's it hasn't paid off the story behind it is this uh adrian so he was asked about his thinking behind not making himself available for a four-out save and he said quote it's the situation that we were at asked to clarify he said are we in the playoff race technically yes but it would take a miracle to which he said quote you guys want me to do everything
1: Mm, yeah. That sounds
0: like somebody yeah. who will be out of San Diego in a couple of weeks.
1: And also somebody whose uh, philosophy and mindset did not align with uh, those of the front office. So seems like a little bit of a rift between his role, his expectations, and uh, what he actually should bring every single day.
0: Totally agree with you. Dallas Cowboys report coming up at the top of the hour. And then Coach of a Lifetime, the brand new book from Galen White. He will join us next as Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. Sports Studio, here's Steve Kaplowitz and Adrian Broaddus. All right, welcome back, everybody. As our final hour of sports talk gets underway, oh, we've got a a real treat for you to begin the hour. In fact, uh, I am so excited about having uh, Galen White back with us. Uh, He has uh, authored uh, numerous books that he has profiled here on this radio show, and he's got a brand new one out called Coach of a Lifetime. The story of Lewis Cook, Jr., legendary high school football coach. And how about this? The foreword of the book was written by none other than the great Nick Sabin. I love that. And uh, Galen joins us live here to begin our final hour of the show. Uh, welcome back to the program, and uh, congratulations on the brand-new book.
4: Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it.
0: So you tell me. You've written about Ransom Jackson. Um, you've written uh, the, the Best Little Baseball Town in the World, Accidental uh, Big Leaguer, and now here we go with Coach of a Lifetime. And I think, Galen, what I love about your books more than anything is you always pick out subjects that are so overlooked in sports, but when you really dive into their story, it's a fascinating read
4: that's true steve uh i tend to gravitate towards the obscure and they're not always obscure in a, in a certain area but overall they are and coach lewis cook of course is he's a legend in louisiana but outside of louisiana not a whole lot of people have heard of him but uh there is someone in el paso bradley del pevidal who's heard of coach cook and and he calls him uh he says when the good lord made the perfect coach he made louis cook so that's uh the kind of uh, material that led me to write about Coach Louis Cook of Notre Dame High School in southwest Louisiana.
0: Let's dig deeper into the answer that you just gave me. And you say you like to write about obscure individuals. Why is that, Galen? Why go obscure over someone that's maybe more well-known? Steve, I'm a
4: diehard Cubs fan, so that makes me for the underdog. Um, And Coach Cook, by the way, is uh, probably the ultimate underdog. He was in high school a five foot five, one hundred twenty five pound quarterback. He was an all state safety and he was an outstanding option quarterback. But he had no scholarship offers. Uh, and but he went on, of course, to uh, have this great coaching career. This is his fiftieth year of coaching overall. Thirty eight years as a head coach. He had eight years as an assistant coach, two different stints at the University of Southwestern Louisiana. But The the, the stories of some of these people who have been overlooked uh, fascinate me. And in the case of Coach Cook, um, I'd gotten to know him because he had helped me connect with Ron Guidry uh, to do an endorsement for my previous book, The Best Little Baseball Town in the World, which is about the Crowley Millers in uh, Crowley, Louisiana, where Notre Dame High School is located. Uh, Coach Cook uh, played uh, baseball his freshman year at University of Southwest Louisiana, And Guidry was a teammate. So uh, uh, Coach helped me connect with Ron Guidry. And in turn, I got to know more about Coach Cook and listen to him tell some of his stories. And uh, that eventually led to me asking him if he ever thought about doing a book. And here we are. Uh, And and Nick Saban wrote the forward. The connection there is Nick Saban, uh, the second high school in Louisiana, that Saban uh, visited after taking the head coaching job at LSU was Notre Dame High School. They had a player named uh, Cade Como who was uh, recruited in his sophomore year in high school by LSU. He was a six foot six, three hundred pound lineman, and Coach Saban wanted to make sure he was still uh, uh, coming to Baton Rouge. Also, Coach Saban recruited Coach Cook's middle son, uh, Jeff Cook, who was an All State quarterback, and wound up going and playing his freshman year at LSU, eventually transferring and playing baseball at University of Louisiana, Lafayette. Wow.
0: I love it. And by the way, the stories about Bradley Dale Pivotow, who, as you mentioned, is the defensive coordinator for UTEP right now, uh, you quote him uh, uh, you know in the beginning of the book quite often, and he mentions that Coach Cook could have coached at any level, but the reason he chose to do high school and not college or pros was he put his family first, and that tells you something because coaching is the kind of uh, of game where not everybody will will put their family first.
4: It's a nomadic profession, uh, Steve. I mean, Bradley Dale is a great example. He's he's coached uh, a number of different places, and that's no criticism of him or any other coaches who have moved around in order to uh, move ahead. And for Coach Cook, he just kind of knew his place. He had this compass that sort of kept him near his hometown of Rain, Louisiana, which is about 20 minutes from Lafayette and about 10 minutes from Crowley, where he is coached in high school, both at the public school there as well as Notre Dame high Uh, coach cook. um, One of the reasons I wrote about him is this commitment to what I called, what he calls the three F's family, faith, and football in that order. And he has been consistent in that turning down opportunities to coach at Texas AM, and for example. He had an opportunity to coach at uh, uh, University of Southwestern Louisiana at one point. But in that case, his wife uh, had been diagnosed with breast cancer and he decided that was not the time for him to try to be head coach uh, at a university. So he, he, he dropped out of the running for that job. That's, that's Coach Cook. He puts his family uh, first and also in terms of... Uh, Uh, wherever he's coached, he puts the kids first before winning. He doesn't talk about winning. What he tells other coaches is put the kids first. Winning will take care of itself if you do that.
1: Galen, it's so interesting when you talk about the relationships he had uh, with college coaches. I mean, we just mentioned Nick Saban. We talked about Bradley Dale Pivato. Uh, Brian Kelly speaks very highly of him as well, and he's got uh, relationships with college coaches pretty much all across the country. What is that like, right there? The kind of cultivating those relationships with coaches, not only to just recognize him as a dominant head coach, but to trust him because uh, it seems it seems like he's sending a lot of his graduates, off to some of these schools that we're talking about here?
4: Well, Notre Dame High School, where he's at now, is, I like to say, is not a pipeline to the top uh, colleges, nor the NFL. It's a pipeline to life. I mean, Coach Cook is turning out lawyers and and uh, priests. He's got there's a chapter called The Ultimate Goal is Heaven, and it's about three priests that have gone through his program. Uh, Coach Cook has this sort of Andy Griffith uh, type of personality, kind of all shucks. He's a regular guy. In fact, Bradley Dell tells the story about uh, when he visited Notre Dame at one point, somebody asked where uh, Coach Cook's office was, and he pointed uh, Coach Cook out in in, in the office where he was sitting, and the guy said, well, I thought he was the janitor. So Coach Cook is the kind of guy that could be mistaken for the janitor. janitor. He's so unassuming. But his relationship with the coaches at all levels, and uh, David Coley wrote a blurb for the book, he was a head coach for the uh, Texans uh, in 2021, the Houston Texans. Uh, he 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 is um, he's very good at X and O's, as as uh, Coach Saban says. He is as good at the X's and O's as any coach in football. But he's also a people person. He he is great at developing talent, and he's great at recognizing potential. He's had several players pass through his high school programs that. Other people uh, had warned him uh, and say, "Hey, uh, th- th- they're they're poisonous for your program." Coach Cook went ahead and gave him an opportunity. One of them was West Jacob, who went on to star at LSU. When West was in eighth grade, uh, the uh, junior high coach there called him up and said, "Don't let him near your program; he'll poison it." Well, West came on over to Crowley High School, uh, became an all all American high school football player, went on to star at LSU, and today he coaches with Coach Cook at Notre Dame. Wow.
0: We're talking with uh, Galen White. Uh, The book is called Coach of a Lifetime, the story of Lewis Cook Jr., legendary high school football coach. Now, interestingly enough Crowley is really where he broke through in his second season uh, with them in 1986 he won 10 games best best ever season as coach and still went on to coach uh, at Crowley uh, until uh, 1997 when he moved to Notre Dame uh, and and just started that crazy run over there uh, considering his beginning uh, as a coach uh, at rain high school and the fact that he went two and eight his first season and never won more than seven games Games prior to that breakthrough season at Crowley in 1986. You know, sometimes coaches are out of jobs, uh, you know, if they don't get it done in five or six years and never get that opportunity to get back. So you look at what he was able to do and how really, I guess, the mid-'80s launched him into what is truly uh, one of the great high school coaches that the game's ever seen.
4: Well, he was uh, at uh, University of Southwest Louisiana in the 80s uh, at a relatively young age. And he went back uh, to high school coaching to Crowley, which had lost 21 straight games. And people were questioning his sanity. Why would you go back to high school, take a $6,000 cut in pay to do so? Well, he he liked high school coaching better. He likes developing the young talent. And at Notre Dame, I mean, at Crowley High, he took this program, which was uh, the, probably the worst high school program in the state at the time. And five years later, he leads them to the uh, state title. Uh, one of his players in that team was uh, uh, Orlando Thomas, who went on to become an all-pro safety for the Minnesota Vikings. And the title of the book, by the way, Coach of a Lifetime, is based on a statuette that Orlando gave uh, Coach Cook uh, after he was with the Vikings. And it, 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 is about, it, it looks like a Heisman Trophy, and it thanks him for all his support and love and friendship over the years that, that really they developed a father-son relationship.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a great story and you mentioned Uh, USL, which is, uh, as you said, southwestern Louisiana, now Louisiana Lafayette. He had two stints as an assistant coach, 81 to 84. And then after all his success at Crowley, um, he went there from 1992 to 1995. So you tell me. It's one thing to go from uh, high school to college back to high school, but doing it a third time, going back to high school after you spend another four years at uh, Southwestern Louisiana. Um, Why do you think, Galen, he chose to to go back and and leave college coaching the second time around?
4: Well, what's amazing about that, when he left, he was coaching none other than Jake Deholm, who went on to lead the Carolina Panthers
0: through their first Super Bowl. And
4: so Coach Cook was very critical in Jake DeHolme's career. Uh, Jake, he not only recruited Jake, he pushed for Jake to be used. They were going to, Jake was going to be redshirted Coach uh, lobbied for him playing as a freshman, and, of course, he went on to set all these records. But he left Jake, and a receiver known as Brandon Stokely, wow. who also went on to have a successful NFL career. He left them at University of Southwestern Louisiana to go back to high school, and the reason? To coach his boys. He, his uh, oldest son, uh, Lou the uh, Third Lou was entering high school, and then he had Jeff, who went on to become an All-State quarterback. He was right behind him. And then he had a third son, Stu Cook, and so he wanted to coach his boys, and that, that drove him to come go back to high school. And the coach likes to say this, Nick Saban is more comfortable in college than the pros, and I'm more comfortable in high school than college.
1: Galen, uh, could you tell our listeners uh, or give a little insight as to what those 5.30 a.m. legendary summer workouts were like?
4: That's a, there's a chapter called Early Morning Lights. And during the summer months of June and, and uh July, Of course, it's very hot in Louisiana, and, and to get uh, a decent workout in, you uh, have to do it when it's not as hot as as it is in the middle of the day. So as they started the workouts at 6 o'clock, and some of the players who had uh, jobs to get to around 8 o'clock, they wanted to uh, practice, start practice a little earlier, so they started at 5.30. Now it's, um, it's a badge of courage to attend the 5.30 workouts. They'll have something like 60 to 70 kids out there uh, at 5.30 in the morning on the months of June and July uh, doing their workouts and, uh, and just getting ready for the season. Uh, it's it's an amazing program. You see these lights out there in early of the morning, and it's like the lights
0: <laughs> in,
4: in, in Texas on a Friday night. But uh, you don't have the fans there. You just have these players who are committed to playing football for Coach Cook.
0: Did you get a chance to attend any of those 5.30 workouts uh, this past summer to kind of experience that uh, and see what that was like firsthand?
4: I did. And uh, it was amazing because I stayed overnight with Coach Cook at his house. I went in early that morning, and the first time it happened, this is the honest-to-God truth, uh, he, he goes in, turns on the computer, and that happened to be the morning where they reported and Nick Saban had signed his latest contract. And uh, so he turns on the computer, reads about Nick Saban signing this. I don't know how much uh, money it was, but it's more money than you and I or any of our listeners will accumulate in their lifetime. And Coach Cook said, I quote, and I'm the sucker who took a $6,000 cut and pay to come back to high school.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. He has a great sense of humor. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Well, hang on. Stick around with us. We're going to come back, and we'll talk more with you about the book, okay? Great. Thank you. You got it. We'll keep things moving with uh, Galen White as sports talk rolls along. But first, out to Charlie One, Let's get this traffic update in. Right now, as we continue here on Sports Talk, Galen H. White, author, uh, friend of the show, has a brand new book out called "Coach of a Lifetime: The Story of Lewis Cook Jr., Legendary High School Football Coach." Forward by Nick Saban. If you are a high school fan, you're gonna. If you're just a sports fan, it's a story you're gonna want to read. Just listening to what uh, Galen has given us for the first part of this hour, it's been terrific. Now, I know the book is on Amazon, but I love the fact. That You were telling me that the book is also available at your website, uh, galenwhite.com, and you have a very good incentive to buy it on your website uh, rather than Amazon. Why don't you let our listeners know why?
4: All proceeds from the sales of the book purchased uh, on my website, galenwhite.com, will go to a fund that Coach Cook is setting up for his non-faculty coaches. These guys don't make much money. These are volunteer coaches. And so Coach uh, is wanting to uh, pay him a little bit more than he's able to right now, and he's using proceeds from the book to do that. That speaks to the kind of man that he is.
0: I love that. I absolutely love that. So go to com. That's G-A-Y-L-O-N-White.com if you would like to get yourself a copy of Coach of a Lifetime. And while you're at it, are the other books there as well, Galen? Yes, they
4: are. They're all there. Uh Unfortunately, those proceeds don't go to the Notre Dame program, but uh, uh, they help me, I guess, find these obscure stories. But, uh, you know, Coach Cook is, uh, I was told when I approached the publisher who has done all my books, Roman and Littlefield, I was told we've never done a book on a high school football coach. I I accepted that as a challenge. Intuitively, I knew there was a great story here. How great, I really didn't know. It took me Uh, interviews with 118 different people to really affirm some things about Coach Cook. But uh, one of the things I realized in writing the book, Steve, is that the best coaches may well be at the high school level. Mm -hmm. They are developing this raw talent. I had someone tell me, and I thought a lot about it, and it's true, the coaches at the college and professional level, I'm not suggesting they don't do some development, but basically they're managing talent. They're managing that talent that they've. Uh, if they're in college, they've recruited from the high school level. And if they're in professional, they've drafted from the, the best players in college. So at the high school level, you're kind of taking what God gives you in your particular area, and you're developing that talent. And when you think about it that way, the high school coaches are really overlooked. And Coach Cook, of course, was among them. He was overlooked as well. But it's, it's, uh, it's an appreciation for high school coaching, that I didn't have before.
0: Something else to bring up, and it's important to note this, is he's not coaching at the 4A level, and he's not coaching at the 5A level. He's coaching at the 2A level, which is some of the smallest high schools you're going to find uh, around the country, and especially in the state of Louisiana, which uh, makes it even more challenging because you might not be dealing with uh, tons and tons of potential Division One prospects like some of the other larger uh, high schools.
4: You're absolutely correct, and he's not in the New Orleans area where a lot of the talent in Louisiana is. He's uh, he's in a rural area near Lafayette, Louisiana. He is coaching the sons of rice and crawfish farmers. Uh, uh, now, some of them are pretty strong boys because they work on the farms, but uh, this is not the the greatest talent in the world. Now, at Crowley High, he uh, he coached quite a few black players. At Notre Dame High, uh, which is a private school, and costs about seventy five hundred a year. Uh, there's not that many black players there. So wherever it is he's coached, he has uh, developed uh, the full potential of the players that he's had at his disposal. And, and that's what makes him so special. He takes what he has and he makes the most out of them. He he sees potential in players and in coaches that they don't see themselves. Uh, when he joined uh, Crowley High School, the previous coach had told him to get rid of the coaching staff. None of them were any good. Well, he kept most of them. One went on to become uh, uh, a high school Hall of Fame uh, coach in Michigan. Um, He had another coach who's still coaching with him who who was a very successful high school coach after he left Crowley High. So, Coach, uh, it's that gift he has of recognizing the potential in people and then gaining the the maximum uh, uh, talent out of them.
1: Galen, kind of on those lines, you know, it's so interesting here in El Paso, especially on the UTEP team, there are a lot of debates on which state has the best high school football. You hear uh, certain guys say Florida, other guys say California, and then the Texas guys will swear by Texas. Is that a big debate? Is that a thing out in Louisiana? Is that something where they want to throw their name out there as one of the best states uh, for high school football? Or is this kind of an an unimportant conversation right there?
4: well, I, I think there's some great football played in Louisiana, but Louisiana doesn't have the size and the big cities that Texas have. I, to me, it's a no-brainer. Texas has the best football talent in the country. And I, I grew up in California, which has got some pretty good talent as well. But uh, I, I think Texas, when I mean, you stop and think of all the schools that Texas supplies, I went to University of Oklahoma. Most of the players there, when I was there at least, uh, when Bud Wilkinson was head coach, uh, we're from Texas. And, they, and that's still true. A lot of them at Oklahoma are from Texas. And also they, they supply uh, uh, University of Texas and uh, Baylor and you name it. Um, uh, there's so much talent in Texas. And that's why I, I you know, when I asked myself, as the publisher asked me, why write about a high school football coach? One of the coaches was uh, from Texas, Julius Scott. And he had coached uh, Johnny Manziel in high school. And Julius Scott became very curious about various coaches what made them successful and he traveled the country interviewing people like Bobby Bowden at the college level a number of very successful high school coaches and he interviewed coach cook and what he realized with coach cook was he has this amazing ability uh with people of making them feel like they're the center of the universe in fact he likens coach cook to mother teresa who it was said made people feel made anyone, someone in the room with her feel like the only person on earth. And that's the ability that coach cook has. He has this tremendous relationship with other people and Notre Dame high school. You mentioned this Steve about playing up. It only has a little over 300 students, 70% of the boys at Notre Dame play football. Think about that 70%. And so they're playing schools of four A's and five A's to start the season. And, uh, uh, their, their record against those schools so this year, for example, the first four games they've split two and two, but I'll guarantee you they'll come back and they'll win the rest of the games. They'll win the rest of the eight, uh, their other eight games, probably seven or eight of them. And they'll go into the playoffs and they'll do well. there. usually going at least as far as the semis or to the finals. Wow.
0: Well, they have, uh, he he's has five state titles to his credit, um, and you start to think about uh, the success, 394 wins as we uh, you conduct this interview. He's six away from 400, and he's coached almost 40 years. Uh, is, there, is there a magic number for Coach Cook, or is he just going to keep coaching as, as long as he enjoys it? Well, this is kind of the
4: barometer right here, Steve. He's got a junior on his team right now, Jackson Casanova. The Casanova name is famous in Louisiana because Tommy Casanova, Jackson's uncle, was a three-time All-American at uh, LSU in the 70s. He at one time was on the cover of Sports Illustrated and called uh, the best player uh, in college football that particular year. Jackson Casanova is currently playing linebacker. He is very fast. He is very strong. I wouldn't be surprised to see him play on offense. A few games this year as well but coach cook and seeing jackson casanova and his brother who's a sophomore sam casanova i think this is like the 10th casanova that he has coached he's not one to leave talent like that i expect him to coach uh, at least another season maybe two more he's 72 now i think i think he'll be coaching longer than nick saban how about that
0: oh my goodness that's huge that is absolutely huge. I love it. Uh, big. That tells me something because you feel like Saban's going to coach forever. Well, maybe uh, Coach Cook's going to do the same exact thing. That's that's exactly right. All right, we'll come back. We'll wrap up our conversation with Galen as we continue. But first, let's get another bottom of the hour Sports Center update from Adrian, who's standing by. Thank you Adrian. Uh, Galen White joining us the author of the book Coach of a Lifetime the story of Lewis Cook Jr. Legendary high school football coach who's uh, still coaching right now out at uh, Notre Dame High out there in Crowley and uh, we've uh, spent uh, all hour talking with Galen uh, about uh, Coach Cook who by the way there are definitely resemblance uh, between Coach Cook and Coach Haskins here at UTEP especially when you talk about getting players that might not be the most well recruited but helping to mold them and make them the best player they could possibly be. We often said that coaching in El Paso at UTEP, uh, Don Haskins never was able to get the McDonald's All-Americans like so many other coaches were able to, but he coached 38 years, and his he was known for getting players that were raw and undeveloped and turning them into uh, you know uh, great individuals and really great players both on and off the court. I
4: remember the national title they won. I believe it was 1965, wasn't it? 65, 66. That's correct. Right, and wasn't there a center with uh, a Latin? Uh, that's uh, right. Big, Big Daddy Latin. Oh, yep. that was a great team, and and that was uh, yeah. He was an outstanding coach. And you know, growing up in LA, um, I greatly admired John Wood, the coach at UCLA in basketball. And I went to University of Oklahoma, and I got there. Bud Wilkinson's last year as head football coach. And I like to tell people that. Some of the qualities that uh, John Wooden and Bud Wilkinson had uh, also are qualities that Coach Cook has. Uh, that that's one of the things that attracted me to him. I, when you're around Coach Cook, there's a there's an aura, there's a, there's a presence about him that makes you feel better. And then after he gets to know you and and he takes this interest in you, uh, interest in my family. We had some health issues in my family during the two year development of this book and. Coach Cook would be on the phone two, three times a week checking to see how my wife was or, or if it pertained to me, checking to see how I was. I mean, he's just an amazing individual. And toward that line, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was in Louisiana. Uh, it was the season opener for Notre Dame, and there was a lightning delay. And the team was in the gym. I was in a separate room, uh, just very quiet. My son had just been, the youngest son had just been admitted to ICU, because of a tick bite he had. And so he was hanging on for dear life. Coach comes in, takes his headset off, doesn't say anything to me for a while. Then suddenly he says, How Rory's, how's Rory doing? Is he out of ICU next? That just struck me as amazing. Rory, by the way, took the cover photo of Coach Cook. But Coach Cook, to at that moment, to ask me about my son mm-hmm. during a lightning delay of, uh, uh, during a football game, I just thought was... You, you, that doesn't
0: happen very often galen how has he evolved as a coach as the game has changed over the last 40 years and also as student athletes have changed you think about it social media more distractions now than there used to be and as everything has really evolved both on and off the field how has coach cook been able to to keep this uh, this tra- you know this excellent uh, tradition going he
4: hasn't changed that much himself. He he still is sort of an old, he describes himself as an old-fashioned fundamental coach, a disciplinarian. Uh, and he, and the kids respond favorably to it. The biggest change for Coach Cook are the parents. It's it's not the kids. He still believes that if you treat the kids, uh, you put them number one, you care about them, and, and their not just their football future, but their life then they'll respond to you favorably. Parents, uh, you know, there's more today. Parents, they they, they feel entitlement. You know, they want their kids, of course, to have things as good as they had, if not better. But sometimes parents uh, aren't that good a judge of talent. And Coach Cook will have to explain to them why maybe their son isn't starting or why maybe they're playing at a certain position uh, rather than one that they, they wanted to play at. But inevitably, whatever Coach Cook decides turns out being the best for the player. And, and I tell the story in a book about this young kid who wanted to play quarterback and coach moved into wide receiver. The kid wasn't happy about it, but coach talked to him, uh, told him, he said, look, someday you're going to make a difference in the big game for us. And that, ha- that was true. In The championship game in the Superdome in 2015, they ran a play where uh, he as a receiver was uh, 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 lateral the ball. He threw a pass. It was complete for 55 yards. Notre Dame went on to score the next play. They won the game in large part because of that play. And he was, Coach Cook was absolutely right. He made a big difference, not only in their winning that game, but the state championship that year.
1: Galen, I want to ask you what those perfect seasons look like. Four perfect seasons uh, over the last 26 years at Notre Dame. What is that kind of like when you have those ki- that kind of success? And I know, of course, he's only lost 25 regular season games during that span. But uh, specifically, those perfect seasons. How how magical are those right there? Well, it's
4: really amazing because the only state titles they won at Notre Dame have been when they had a perfect season, and so and. and and that's a perfect season, including the non-district play where they're playing much larger schools. Uh, in recent years, uh, I don't believe Notre Dame has had quite the talent they had in earlier years. And also, there's been some changes in, the, you know, the, the organization of the uh, football there in Louisiana, which has had some impact on that. But uh, it, he he is consistent in the way he approaches the game, and you know he also learns. Like when he first went to Notre Dame, he realized that they weren't going to win unless they changed their approach to conditioning, and they brought in a strength and conditioning coach to really change things, uh, make them quicker and make them stronger and they uh, they've, uh, it's been an ongoing development. Coach isn't afraid to change uh, at any point in, uh, in his in his career. He, he has often gone back to the drawing board and done things uh, differently. The other thing that he does that uh, that I think makes him unique as a coach, he believes in passing it on to somebody else. That's one of his favorite phrases. The knowledge he has, and that's one of the reasons we did this book, he wanted to pass on his experience and his knowledge to someone else. He invites other coaches to come watch his practices. He has nothing to hide. He has something to share. He wants to raise the level of coaching, whether it's at the college level, high school level. He wants to raise it up to the highest possible level by sharing what experience and information that he has.
0: Let me give out the uh, website again. It's uh, galenwhite.com. That's galenwhite.com. In fact, when you go to the website and you scroll down a little bit, you'll be able to see a video that accompanies the book, talks about one of the players on Notre Dame High School, Michael Goss, Jr., And there's a video there uh, that's called The Spelling Bee Champ. Uh, More vignettes uh, will be put up on the website to help uh, really support the book, Coach of a Lifetime, which you can buy on Galen's website at uh, galenwhite.com. And uh, congratulations on number six, Galen. We loved uh, getting a chance to to spend uh, all hour talking to you about this. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next time we get to visit. And uh, you'll get a chance to give us another story that I guarantee you we have not heard until we talk to you again next here on the show.
4: Well, I look forward to it. And, you know, there's a great chapter in the book on Orlando Thomas. It's called 42. And uh, Orlando Thomas died of Lou Gehrig's disease. At age 42, but Orlando Thomas was a 13-year-old, 98-pound freshman when he started to play. At Coach for Coach Cook at Crowley High, he went on to become an All-American at University of Southwestern Louisiana. He wore number 42. He was the 42nd pick in the 1995 draft by uh, NFL draft by the Vikings. And he wore number 42 for the Vikings was an All-Pro safety, and he died at age 42 again, same age as his father. It's a it's a extraordinary chapter. And we'll be posting the vignette very soon on Orlando Thomas and Coach Cook's relationship with Orlando.
0: Terrific. Again, awesome stuff. Galen, enjoyed visiting with you. Look forward to the next time we get to chat. Thanks, Steve. Galen White as we continue here on Sports Talk. All right, Adrian and I will come back, and we will wrap things up here on a Wednesday, only on 600 ESPN El Paso.